0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. I hope that you all are having an incredible week and an even more incredible Saturday, or whatever day it is that you're listening to this on. Maybe you prefer your true crime on a Wednesday afternoon to get you through your midweek hump, or maybe... You prefer your true crime on a random Tuesday afternoon. Either way, I'm just glad that you're here, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. This is the final week of trial, or at least witnesses and evidence. You would think that things would be finally settling down a little bit and coming to a close, but after what happened this past week, I think that things are only getting fired up again. Some of the things that have come out in this week's testimonies and evidence has put a huge curve into what may or may not happen with this entire case. We'll get to that, I promise. But we are going to start off with day 25. First on the stand was the social worker herself, Kathy Beatty. She reminds me of the lady from Edward Scissorhands who wanted to open the salon with Edward. I can't remember her name, but the way that she looked and spoke and her hair, it just reminded me of that lady. And she also kind of reminds me of an aunt that I don't speak to. And I don't know, she just really did not settle well with me personally but she said that she never absolutely did not tell Maya that she wanted to be her mother. They mostly just went over what she did with Maya, why she did it, what the orders from CPS were, why the pictures were really taken. Uh, the pictures were a really big thing. They spent a lot of time on those pictures. All in all, her testimony wasn't really anything major. I was really expecting there to be bombs dropped and explosions happening and even in Cross there just wasn't a whole lot. It's like the Kathy Beatty in the deposition and the Kathy Beatty in the courtroom were two totally different people. She was not coming off as argumentative or aggressive or defensive or anything like that. She was very calm, very well-mannered, very... I don't even really know what the word is, but she did do a lot of grooming gestures and was kind of like rocking back and forth in her chair a little bit, kind of like she did in her depositions where she just, I don't know, maybe it's a nervous tick or just something that she does, but she was just like swinging the chair back and forth. It was kind of weird. Um, they did ask her. Defense did ask her about her family. They'd never asked any of the other witnesses about their family. And I think the reason that they did this was to show that Kathy Beatty was a family-oriented person. That she wasn't going to be trying to go into these other families and just rip them apart for no reason. She wasn't, like, acting out of aggression or anything like that. But I don't know. Her testimony just really wasn't... It didn't wow me. I don't think that it wowed anybody. There weren't even a whole lot of jury questions. So, I don't know. It just... I don't think that it did anything for the defense. And I don't think it did anything for the plaintiff. So, the next person on the stand was Dr. Levy. A pediatrician and addiction medicine specialist at Boston General currently the Chief of Division of Addiction Medicine at Boston General. The defense basically brought this witness in to basically say that ketamine was an addictive drug and what it can do to someone and how it can be addictive. That's about all there was to that. However, Cross. Cross was on fire Mr. Whitney was the one that, that did the cross-examination, and he was savage, oh my land. Dude had the DMS-5 up on the podium with him and went through the list of all the drugs that are addictive and told her to stop him when he said what class ketamine was under. She said that ketamine was in the hallucinogenic class, so we went to that chapter in the book and listed off all of those things. She said that it would be under other criteria. You guys, I'm just going to have to link the cross in the show notes because you have to see this. It was just pure gold when it comes to court. But Mr. Whitney was going through all of the other criteria and Maya did not meet the criteria for addiction or withdrawal. One of the things that the DSM-5 says is that somebody who is addicted to a substance is going to go through their entire supply and then they are going to do whatever means necessary to get more. That is not what was happening with Maya. And she was not showing any signs of withdrawal from the ketamine other than being agitated. She was also on steroids whenever she was brought into Johns Hopkins. So the steroids are more likely to cause aggravation than ketamine. Mr. Whitney said that Maya was on actual addictive medications and Dr. Kirkpatrick and Dr. Hannah were taking her off of those addictive drugs. Her answer was interrupted though because they had to ask her to close her outlook on her computer. So I don't really know what she said in relation to why it was such a big deal that they took her off the addictive drugs and put her on ketamine. But yeah, it was amazing. So on the stand next was Kelly Thatcher, a pediatric nurse at St. Joseph Children's Hospital in Tampa. I think that this was the hospital's best witness. I think that she was really good at staying cool, staying collected. She didn't get defensive. She didn't get you know, angry and upset. She was very good. She was very, very, very well-versed in nursing. She had been a nurse for 25 years at the time, whenever Maya was in Johns Hopkins, and she had over 25,000 clinic hours, which is a lot of clinical hours for a nurse. She talked about how Maya and Beata were demanding medication and how Maya had been asleep for a few minutes and Beata wanted the CAT scan done right then and there, right after Maya fell asleep. And then whenever Maya came out of the CAT scan, Beata told her she would get a volume now for being good. She said that Maya's pain was more in control after a while. It wasn't consistent control, but but there was some relief. And that's really about all that there was to her testimony, but she still did really good and she had a lot of documentation that a lot of the other witnesses did not have. All right, I'm gonna be real with you guys. I watched Tuesday's trial, but I did not write down a single thing. It was mostly depositions and there was nothing that I thought was of real value or evidence except for one doctor who I believe was an anesthesiologist. She talked about Maya and the drugs and the drugs that they gave her to replace the ketamine. And that was really about it. So, Trial Day 26 was just not really anything to talk about. So, we are going to hone in on Day 27. Day 27 was supposed to be the day that defense rested their case and closing arguments, rebuttal, all that stuff would begin. So, there were a couple of depositions that were played by defense... And then they rested their case. Great. Awesome. Well, in rebuttal, they brought back in Dr. Corcoran, who testified previously for the plaintiff about the policies and procedures of Johns Hopkins. Because of one of the previous witnesses that had been brought in by defense a can of worms the size of texas was opened and it set court on fire let me tell you i don't even know if i have the words to explain what all went down so the plaintiff wanted a report on Kathy Beatty or Sally Smith. I can't remember now if it was Kathy Beatty or if it was Sally Smith. I think it was Kathy Beatty. But she had gotten into an altercation with another employee at the hospital previously and it escalated and she had to be reprimanded because of it. They wanted all of Kathy Beattie's HR reports, like reviews and everything, and defense would not produce that. They produced some of them, but there were several that were missing, specifically one from, I believe, 2017. When defense inquired to the hospital about it, the they were told by the hospital that those reports that system was no longer accessible this brought into a whole other thing about why the system wasn't accessible and what was going on in the hospital at this time and the, i'm i'm not gonna get all of this information correct so you're gonna have to forgive me there's gonna be stuff that's missing And I've watched so many videos the last couple of days trying to understand it. And I still don't fully understand it. But I'm going to try my best to relay this information. So basically from 2000 and I think 15 up until 2019. Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital was at risk. At immediate risk for losing their accreditation for receiving money or government funding however you want to word it they were labeled as an immediate jeopardy because of the way that patients and specifically the heart Institute but it was a widespread thing because of how those patients were being treated if this is able to be brought in front of the jury Johns Hopkins has no hope they have no hope in winning this case because there were several patients who tragically lost their lives in the Heart Institute because of how they were being treated and because of the basically malpractice that was going on in the hospital. Like I said, it focused in the Heart Institute, but it was a systemic widespread thing throughout the entire hospital. So it was not just confined to the Heart Institute. But why is this such a big thing? This is such a big thing because every witness that has been brought up by defense to talk about the hospital has said that the hospital was in good standing, it was a gold star hospital, everything was on the up and up, there was nothing to worry about, everything was good, they were great, it was fantastic. And if all of this comes to light and is actually true that they were at immediate jeopardy for this, then everything that happened, all of the witnesses, everything, would have been lying and trying to cover it up. Or they didn't know any better. If they didn't know any better I can't hold them to that but several of these people knew what was going on even mr. hunter the one who is like defending he is like the main person defending Johns Hopkins in this trial he has tried to cover Up this whole thing he even said that this was an issue that he thought that he buried a long time ago and now it's being brought back to light again so this is a huge 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 deal I don't know what's gonna happen all I know is that the judge was livid And I mean, we've seen him lose his cool during this trial a couple of times, but he was livid. This was the last day of witnesses, the last day of evidence. This is something that should have been addressed way before now, and this bomb got dropped on the last day. The judge has another trial that he has to start in like a week, so... This was like the worst possible time for this to happen. And it is blowing up. It is blowing up. I don't know another way to say it. Bombs are being dropped and everything is exploding right in front of their faces. So basically the judge has said that he wants everything. Every report, every document... Every email, every little bitty thing that has a scintilla. He said a scintilla of odor that could be questionable. He wants it. And he also had someone come in. We don't know if this happened or not, but I guess we'll find out on Monday. But he wanted someone from the hospital to come in and do a deposition on Friday to confirm or deny this stuff that was going on. It is wild. It is absolutely wild. And the worst part about it, I think, is that the jury doesn't know that any of this is going on. And so the jury was dismissed for like half an hour while the attorneys and the judge were discussing all this in the middle of the court day. And they were brought back in like, okay, what was that all about? And then they had to continue the day like nothing ever happened. So they have no idea what's going on and the whole thing is about to blow up in front of them. Several people online have asked why wasn't this brought up sooner, and basically it was done so in a way that the plaintiff couldn't bring it up unless if the defense brought it up, and the defense finally let something slip. And because the defense finally let something slip about it, then the plaintiffs were able to jump on it and run with it. And it's like they knew that if they could just get this shrivel of evidence leaked in somehow from the defense, then they would be able to completely kill their case. And I think that that is exactly what's going to happen, honestly. I don't see how if this evidence comes to light, if this... If there's truth in all of this even if it's just a sliver of it it doesn't all have to be true but even if there's just a sliver of it that other patients were being mistreated throughout the hospital if there were issues with how things were being done in the hospital during the time that Maya was there then there is no way that the hospital is gonna win this case I don't believe it for an instant that the jury is going to vote in favor of the defense when it comes to how these patients and how Maya was treated knowing that it was a system-wide thing going on that patients were being mistreated by the hospital. I was honestly so ready for this trial to be over because it was just getting so redundant and so boring but after all of this I honestly cannot wait for Monday. I am gonna be up as early as possible so I can watch it from start to finish and figure out what the heck is going on and what is going to happen. But after all of that commotion, they had to continue with the rest of their rebuttal and so that's what they did. They brought up Maya on the stand again. Because defense had tried to say that Maya really wasn't as bad off as she said that she was. They were trying to say and use pictures of her from her social media. And some of the pictures weren't even on her social media. They were on her friend's social media. And they went through her friend's social media and her school's social media and everything... And like got these pictures and she was really upset about that. But according to Law and Lumber, unfortunately that's legal and they can do that. So, I don't know. But she had gone to, uh, I think it was Winter Formal. And then she had gone out the weekend before Halloween. And they were trying to say that because she was able to go to winter formal and she was able to go out for Halloween that she wasn't really as bad off as they said or that she was making it out to be so Maya was brought back up on the stand to rebut what they had said about her being able to go out and it really just it really broke my heart for her because she said that you know for winter formal she literally bought the dress The day before. Because she didn't know she was going to be able to go out or not. And the only reason that she went. Was because her boyfriend bought the tickets. And she didn't want to upset him. By not going. And she went. And they stayed for maybe an hour. And then she had to come home. And with going out on Halloween. She went out for a couple of hours. And then she was done. And then basically she stayed in bed. For the rest of the weekend. So. I can attest to this, not in the sense of chronic pain, but as a diabetic, I understand this to a degree. If I have a really bad blood sugar day, then I'm done. You don't realize how exhausting it is to not have your blood sugars in a normal level, and sometimes no matter how hard you try to control it. And no matter if you do everything right, you're still going to have days where everything is off. And whenever my blood sugars are up and down, or if they run high, or if they run low, then the likelihood of me going out and doing anything the next day, or even staying home and doing anything other than laying on the couch, it's not happening. So I understand that, and I think that a lot of people with any kind of chronic illness would understand that. It's not just the fact if you are physically in pain, it's what happens inside of your body. It literally can completely exhaust you to the point where some days you don't even want to move. So I get that, and I don't think that that could or should be held against her for that but that's just me I know that this is a very short episode in comparison to the last ones but that is all that I have for this week you guys I have a feeling that next week is going to be very very interesting and I cannot wait to watch the trial on Monday and see what is gonna happen from all of this so yeah that's all that I have If you haven't already, please hit that follow button or that subscribe button, depending on where you're listening from. And if you haven't, then please leave me a five-star review, because you know that really helps your girl out. Alright guys, until next week, the record will so reflect.